Just checking. Come on, move. Work. Oh, where's it gone? Ah, there it is. Hey, Price, Stevie. First one on. Steve Nemers, the Schleiter from Bavaria. Oh, yeah. Oh, work. Mike Freeborn, hi. Marlon Nash, hi. Tusa Martini, hi. Fabiola Leighton, hello from Chile. Welcome to Fish on Friday. Ah, this. Once again, it's that earlier time of the night. Yeah. I'm only drinking alcohol free at the moment because. As soon as this is off air, it's like I'll be cracking open a bottle of real stuff. Yeah. It's been a sere fact, as they say. A tough day. Mm. Uh. Nico Slobo, hiya. Thanks for the helping out earlier on. Someone, you helped someone out with something which was cool. Sven Spieth, yo yo. Paul G. Levy, Rob Alderman, Miami, Flor Miami, Florida calling. Hope you're okay out there. Uh, Sandy Fearful, hey boss, been busy today, yes, we have been, Simon Farquhar, good evening. Uh, stunned by Garden, yeah, I've been, we've been, we've been blown away by it, it's like, I, I knew it was good, and I knew the video was, was going to hit people, and um, to finally get it out and see the reactions was incredible, and uh, I was speaking to John Mitchell today. And we were going like, wow, this is great. This is like, I mean, we knew it was, it, we knew it was going to be received well, but it's, um, um, we didn't expect the reaction we got. And it, it threw everybody. And um, it threw everybody, including Fuse Metrics ourselves. I mean, we, we, everybody was braced for like, you know, the, the kind of, as I've spoke, said on the Facebook page, oh, everybody coming back, I mean. Everybody was braced and we'd say, everybody said, well, okay, better get ready, this is going to happen, you know, get the servers ready. And we just didn't expect the hit we got, the early hit we got. And um, some of you have been asking, and I've answered, I've answered this on the Facebook uh, page, but uh, some of the earlier orders, what happened was basically Stripe who take the payments. We don't use PayPal anymore. Um, so the Stripe kind of server and the Fusemetrics server weren't talking. So Stripe was taking the money but it wasn't activating to send out the, the, the confirmation email. So Simona, at this very moment, is through there manually going through and just making sure that all the orders, all the payments that came in are related to an order. And then once the order's checked and confirmations are sent out, that's why some of you took um, a long time to get those confirmation emails. It happens. But um, we've written the tech. It's been like an incredible day. I mean, uh, you know, I was up really early doors today and you know we're already answering questions on you know internal questions within the circle making sure that prices weights things everything was set up right blah blah blah. and right up to five minutes to 12 there was still kind of little adjustments to be made so hats off to martin gillow at fuse metrics and all the team at fuse metrics for getting there because like i said we anticipated you know that there was going to be a big surge and fuse metrics had set themselves up for it but nobody saw what was happening on the back of Gardner Remembrance and there's this social media wave that, that, that kind of came at us. All the people that came through that were incredible. So it's, it's been a long day. I had two interviews today. I was on with um, 
BBC Radio Ulster, which is out I think on Sunday, and then I, I, I did a live one with West, Mid West Midlands Radio. So now I go into the next kind of sequence, my next mountain, my, ne my next foothills on the way to the mountain, you know. And um, it's it's really exciting. I've not had a single that's kind of got such a reaction as, as this one. I mean, um, and it's reaching places that I didn't think it would. I did an interview nearly close to an hour and a half the other day with Age UK, and it was a really, really interesting interview. And uh, it was great because I was able to talk about stuff that was kind of outside music and talking about um, non-music things, basically, you know, related, but not, you know, absolutely, you know, what is this about? And uh, so it's cool with all that stuff. But I mean, it's been a, a weird week. And I had a really crap night last night. I got a terrible cramp in my left foot and my toes were, oh. And um, I was a bit worried, to be honest, because I had a, a, a bit of a sweat on as well. And um, the reason why I was worried, because on Tuesday I had to go into the Royal in Edinburgh for um, um, my first examination on the shoulder. So I've t I basically I've torn a tendon, or it's likely, more than likely, that I've torn a tendon in, in up here. And um, I saw the, the surgeon who operated on this shoulder in, back in, what was it, 2017. And she said, you know, it's pretty sure. But as a kind of like a uh, band-aid, I got a massive injection in my shoulder of steroid just to take the inflammation down. And I've now got to do Zoom physio work. It's all right doing that movement. It's just, if you've got to get something out of your back pocket, it's really painful. It's that part of the shoulder storm. It's a Scottish thing. Can't get my wallet out of my back pocket because I've got a ton tendon. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I was in the Royal and it was, it was quite a surreal experience. It was like watching one of those 1970s kind of science fiction movies. You know, you walk in and there's masks and all the seats like four metres away from each other and things. And I was a bit nervous because, you know, let's make no... No quarrel about it. You know, I was going in an area where, um, you know, you know, everything was going, everything was mayhem, you know, months, two months ago. And um, and it's, you know, a little Petri dish all of its own, even though, you know, you t I mean, you, I, was, I had my mask on and I'd done my hands before I got in the car. I got in the hospital, I washed my hands, I washed my hands when I came out. And, you know, it was strange there a consultation when both of us were wearing masks, you know. It was... Uh, and um, so, yeah, and I was a bit worried, which meant that, like, you know, when I was looking at it and, you know, last night when I started getting the sweats on and I started getting the cramps and, you know, the fear goes off, you know, da, you know. But I'm okay. I had a shit sleep. And uh, like I said, I was pacing back and forward in the, in the music room trying to get the, the, the cramp out of my feet. So I woke up to landing page and must, this must be done, this must be done. We've got adverts running in Prog Magazine next week or on the Prog website that Mark Wilkinson has been doing brilliant, getting all that stuff together. So there's been people, within the circle, there's been people batting for me all around the place and I'm internally grateful for them. Rob Scarron, you did a massive job. And happy birthday once again to Rob Scarron, who thought that we were doing the pre-order launch on his birthday just to make him feel really good. So happy birthday, Rob. Oh, we have a great night with your girlfriend. You deserve it. 
so yeah, so we've all been kind of, you know, um, uh, going nuts. You know, they, this whole last week has just been putting all the pieces in place and, and just, you know, getting everything sorted, lining up. But as I said, you know, it's my, my next mountain is before me. So, uh, but it's an enjoyable one. And, um, you know, I've got a load of interviews. I think there's about 14, 15 radio interviews, but it's, it's, it's changed nowadays. Um, I can mention this the last one. It's impact date. And you have release date, and then about five weeks later, you have impact date. So what we hope for is that the, um, there's enough radio plays generated around about local stations, and there's enough interest within Spotify, etc. Um, you know that it builds and it builds up a, a bit of momentum. And once it gets up to the impact date, then it's judged on whether it goes up to the next level. It's kind of like a long drawn out thing when we used to have singles back in the eighties where your single came out and like when we put a single out it was like fan base bought it it went surging into the it went into the top 20 with an anchor <laughs> not a bullet with an anchor and then you had to prop it up so like emi always like propped it up in the second week with the 12 inch picture disc releases and the cassette or an alternative version as many versions as you could get out to stay within the parameters and the rules of the the single chart authority or BRMP or whatever they were called. And um, so, I mean, that was what we did, but now it's changed. And I think with digital and, you know, no, you know, no physical singles of, of any note, you know, it's, uh, this is where it's at. So, you know, if you're going on to Spotify, if, if, you're, if you're somebody that uses Spotify, go on to the single, please, and just like trigger it so that you're, you're kind of liking it or watching it or whatever. And it all helps towards kind of building up towards the impact date, you know. It's like some, an asteroid thing, you know, like, oh, the asteroid's coming, it's the impact date. So it's been an eventful time. Matthew Ray, got the docs ordered, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks very much for everybody for ordering. Fuse metrics, are, I've, I've got three servers on the go at the moment, so there's like plenty of space, but you don't have to rush. I mean, the album is out on the 25th of September, so, and we have 15,000 deluxe titles, like, that we, they're coming to us in September, and if they sell out, then we've got to do a, a, an order, so, uh, which takes about a month and a half, two months to get a, a hardback book to get all that manufactured through, but we've got 15,000 deluxe albums, CDs, easy to kind of um, um, follow on with orders, the vinyl, we have 3,000 vinyls. They, again, um, that takes a bit of time to get them turned around, but it's there. I'm happy with it, the numbers. Simona has done absolutely brilliantly in the last week. I mean, the learning curve that she's been on has been incredible. And, you know, I'm a Martin down at Fuse Metrics, and having, you know, when these little items come up, little problems, and they've been dealing with them, batting them down, it's like whack-a-mole, you know? But it's, um, it works, it works. Ah, Eduardo Tapia Aravina, high fish, it looks like a Chilean flag. Timothy Bull, Planet Rock. Uh, Tom Bombadil, Steve Welsh. Uh, Chili Williams, yeah, yes, you know, the last album. And I think that was kind of really strange. I had a, I had a weird, I had a really bad night on Saturday. I had a kind of black dog night. And it was kind of, 
you know, the, everything, you know, I did the Fishing Friday thing. That after the Fishing Friday, as I said to you last week, I, I sat and listened to Avril McIntosh's and, and uh, Andy Bradfield Fields five to one mixes, and it was great. I listened to the uncompressed one, and it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And um, and I was listening to that till like one o'clock in the morning, and then the next day it was like the button was pressed for the Blu-ray to go across to the plant, and it was done. It was like that were all the, that was all the bits. And I just wanted to be with Stevie Vances and Robin Bolt and Callum, and I just want to be with the guys sitting outside in the garden, just you know having a beer together and going, yeah, that was it done. Did it? And I was sitting on my own. Well, not Simone, but it was just Simone and I in the house, and I kind of, yeah, I missed that. You know, the team that was around it. You know, we, we were talking about trying to get together in September, and, and so everybody can meet up and stuff. But I mean, Saturday was a bad day because it was like just such a come down. You know, it was just. You know, that's it, the album's is done, it's gone. I mean, that part is done. And you're sitting there, you know, you know. So yeah, so Saturday was a black dog day, a crappy night. And um, and, then, and then it was just, you know, moving through this this week. So I did some gardening, uh, not very little. <laughs> so thanks for Rab, because Rab helped me get the, um, after I came back from the hospital on the Tuesday after the injection, I was told not to do anything for three days. I wasn't to do anything strenuous. So I had to go out and kind of place the little pots where they go in the beds and wrap put the nets up because it's all brassicas. And I had the badminton racket out again, which was nice. Huh? For those of you who don't know this, it's, um, when I first started gardening, right, this, don't go like, oh, this is a crap. Oh, another garden, garden stuff. When I first got the garden, and I, I really wanted to have an organic garden, I wanted to, you know, be kind of wild and, you know, natural and, you know. And um, I wanted insects. And I thought, you know, I've got to be, it's got to be an insect-friendly garden. And I had the lavenders out there and, you know, all the different flowers and things for the bees. And it was all working great. And then it came to around about this time in the summer and there was all these white butterflies. Flowing. And I'm going, this is incredible. I have fulfilled my mission, right? And I thought, wasn't that great? All the little butterflies flying around the garden, clouds of them, clouds of them. And I'm going, this is beautiful. It was like being in a Disney film, like a Disney cartoon film, waiting on Alice in Wonderland to step lightly through the gate, you know? And then I realized what the bastards were doing. It was about two weeks later, I looked down at my, my cabbages and my broccolis and they were swarming, literally swarming with green caterpillars. It was like a horror movie. <clears throat> and um, of course, I'm up with a handbook, the manual, Organic Gardener's Manual. How to get rid of caterpillars? Squeeze them between finger and thumb, right? And I thought, great, I'll try that, right? My hands were green. I look, my hands looked like those of the Green Hulk, right? I had incredibly strong thumb and forefinger. And I was like, just, and I got so used to it. I could do slugs and everything now. I know that sounds gross, but I mean, I don't, I don't mind insects that eat my, my, my kind of potential food. You know, they die, right? And uh, so the first year it was like the caterpillars and I thought, okay, I've learned my lesson. I lost all the crop. Next year, you know, I read the books and it said, you know, put nets down and stuff. And I went, no, I don't want to put nets because the garden's going to look crap. There's loads of nets hanging about it, you know? So uh, I decided that, you know, I'd, I'd try and get the butterflies early, right? <laughs> Second year, right? Saying to you, as the clouds of butterflies, like, you know, you know, bombed my garden, right? Bombed the brassica beds, you know? 
Um, I got on a badminton racket and I could be seen most mornings out there in my dressing gown like a mad bastard right? <laughs> a badminton racket. I got 40, 40 butterflies, right, just after morning coffee. Big shot of caffeine out there, badminton racket, butterflies hit the deck, right? Now I use nets, right? So Rab put all the nets up, so we've got our... I've got broccoli, I've got shitloads of Brussels sprouts. I mean, incredible amount of Brussels sprouts, all different plants. I don't know what they are. We lost the labels, so we don't know what they are. It's an all-season Brussels sprout collection, so it's going to be a surprise. You know? And I hope it's not a surprise like we had last Christmas when I went out to pick my organic Brussels sprouts and realised that the mice had taken them all. Right? I went out just plants, no bulb, no sprouts to them at all. Mice had taken the whole lot of them. So that was that. So that was my gardening kind of escapades this week, was getting the brassicas in. The tomatoes, I, want, I really wanted to kind of, um, this year was like a, a big year for kind of like, let's get the tomatoes going. And my, my wife, Simona, she loves uh, tomato and mozzarella, and I really wanted to, it's a thing, you know, it's the first strawberry to your wife and like the first raspberries and things. It's, you know, it's a romantic thing to do. And I thought, I really want, I went down and got some mozzarella down at the co-op and I went to the greenhouse and there was these wonderful red tomatoes and uh, they all had blossom end drop and a couple of them that looked like it didn't and they looked okay. It was when I cut them open, it was just, they were green and manky and it was just so, we ended up with cherry tomatoes. The only ones that have come through real good this year, the cherries, the rest of them are a nightmare. So, I'm already at that stage where the greenhouse work next year is going to be a good use tomatoes because this one's rubbish. Enough of gardening. Right. Right. Petruccio Cavalcanti, hello from Amazon Brazil. Look at that, cool. Amazon Brazil. Yeah. Kevin Van Dort, Leslie Moyes, uh, Darren Greenwood. Yeah, he, he said. Darren Grimmie said he just got his confirmation email, but it went in his junk folder. So check your junk folders if you're ordering and you're looking for those confirmations. Um, Rob Van Zust, exactly my thoughts. I'm in a garden, yep. Yeah. The chilies, by the way, are stunning. And uh, someone will tell you about it later. This is the food, right? Jim Edra, you've got flying ants. I hate flying ants. Brilliant. There's something really creepy about them, and you know, especially when they swarm. It's, um, yeah. Oh, so I went. Martin Kelly, yeah. Tony Banks has got an amazing garden. Loves his garden. Yes, I know this. He's told me. We send each other Christmas cards, and I hear. Sean, you've seen Oaks Garden is the best quarantine hobby. Absolutely. It was amazing, you know, when I was trying to order stuff. Luckily, I thought ahead a little bit and I got a lot of my compost and things, but I mean, you know, the, the, suddenly you couldn't find anything. I mean, I was, I was sending seed down to Steve Vances, who's now become an avid gardener because of quarantine. And uh, I felt like a drug dealer got any of that beetroot, sent some of that beetroot down. I was waiting on a visit from the DS, you know. Uh, we've been picking up your messages. Can you tell me what all these are all codes for? <laughs> Broccoli man, green, purple, sprout and broccoli. <laughs> buy it by the ounce, it's Barry. Connell VW Bammington Racket, yes. 
No, that does to do with the shoulder because I'm right-handed. So when this shoulder went, it was a real pain. But this one, the left one, I'm not that bothered and I can get my finger onto the shift button. So that's okay. Uh, here we did it. Oh, come on, bloody cursor. Tusa de Martini, excellent video. Love the gallery. Yeah, um, next week on Louder, they're going to be having the, the making of um, Gardner Remembers video. You should see that. What David Lamb did, because this will kind of freak you out a little bit. When you see the video, I am sitting in a model. I'm actually inside a model that's about that size. Right? Not physically. I'm digitally added onto the... I did, I'm on the white screen that was filmed up here and David put the white gallery together because he couldn't get a gallery because of lockdown. So he built one, a little miniature one, right? and I'm in there. So, but it's a good, you should watch it, they're making a video, it's on Louder next week. I think it's on Thursday. Kerry Robbins, hello from Sunny Guernsey. Daniel Lavaldi from Italy. Yes, thanks again for the video. Daniel Brett. Roger Hochuli. Fran Terones Hilka, hi from Peru. It'd be like, people V slowly might be watching this going like, there's people from Peru in there. Bolivia. Amazon, man. Amazon. Yeah. Covid Central Blackburn. <laughs> Just sort of, I just missed the name, but it's sort of the name. Steve Harris, hello again, mate. Cumbria, Bruno Cav Cavalieri, good afternoon, Julie Clark. Um, a couple of people I wanted to say hello to. Let me think, where is it? Um, Vaughan Lewis, right? This is a wee message to Brett Sinclair. Um, condolences, brother. Okay, I've heard you've been through a tough one, so um, it's from me to you. Um... Where am I going to start? Valentina Reiner, I'm going to try a mince and tatties tonight. Is there a Scottish favourite recipe that you could suggest apart from this one? I don't know what one you're looking at, but all I do is take the meat, brown it, take the onions, soften them up with a bit of frying, put them in a pot, cover them with beef stock up to just about the top of it, add carrots, add a bit of turnip, Bob's your uncle. I put herbs, black pepper, uh, so either herb de Provence or mixed herbs, black pepper, salt, put a touch of garlic in, and that's it. That is basically it. And the Thai's potatoes, which I have, there are loads out there. Unbelievable. And all the Thai's seem to be coming through. They're all falling over now at the same time. So uh, I've got a lot of tatty sex coming at me. Yeah. Sex. That's what East Lothian farmers put the potatoes in. I've done that one before. Um, Isis Bussons, you and Tara look very close to each other. How you define your parenting style? <laughs> How paternity changed your point of view about the world? Oh, God. Um, Tara's had a very strange upbringing. Um, uh, it's difficult to talk about all of this because some of it's quite personal. But, um, you know, Tara was born in, in uh, 91 and it was in the middle of a testing period. That was during the Marillion legal uh, battle, during the 
EMI legal battle during the uh, the kind of the building of the studio. Um, so Tara was born and all that, and uh, and she was born at a time when I personally was under an awful lot of pressure and, and coming through ninety two ninety three. Um, when Polydor dropped me and we had to start the Dick Brothers label, you know, it was, they were tough times. It was very stressful times. It was stressful on my marriage. It was, um, they were, they were hard times. And Tara turned around to me one time and said, uh, I remember I, I, I took a phone call on a tour bus and it must have been around about, uh, 94, 95, yeah, 95, I think it was. And on the big Yin and Yang tour, when I went for broke with the best of album. And um, Tara phoned me up on a tour bus in the middle of Germany. And she, she said, uh, oh, because I always phoned every night. I called Tara on the phone. And um, she said to me uh, on, the, on the phone while I'm in the bunk, I've got a new friend, Dad. And I'm going, oh, she goes, yes, uh, I've got a new friend. She said, she's just like me. Uh, she doesn't have a dad either. Her, her dad works in Russia. And it was like... And I was like, she doesn't have a dad either. And I was like, I was really stung, you know? And Tara said to me that she can't, you know, she's got few memories of me in the first kind of three, four years of her life because I was perpetually on the road trying to make ends meet and pay off debts and stuff. And, um, and it was tough. And, you know, it was a realization, I think when my father uh, spoke to me, you know, before he died, about a few years before he died and, it was, he, he said to me, you, you're in danger of making the same mistake as I did, son. He said, like, you know, like, you've got a daughter, remember, you, you, you know, it's all about your kids. And um, I took that, yeah, I noticed that. And, um, and Tara, you know, I, I, I was single parent here for a bit. You know, Tara's lived in Berlin with her mum. She's lived over here with me. So, you know, she's had to deal with an awful lot in her, in her life. And, um, and it's hard, you know, I think, you know, when you're a single parent and, and when you're a divorced couple dealing with... With kids, it's, it's difficult and making sure you don't fall into certain traps, like you know, trying to use the kids as weapons against your partner and stuff. And uh, so it's been difficult, but I mean, you know, we had some, we have had some horrendous arguments. I think we're too similar, so on the road, it's impossible because, um, you know, we just we just have so much confrontation basically. <laughs> we just we're so bloody minded, you know. And um, so, I mean, you know, throughout the years, you know, there's been, we've had a lot of big explosive moments, I mean, really explosive moments. And there's been months where we didn't talk to each other, but, you know, she knows that I'm always there for her. And I think that's what it is. And she knows that, um, you know, no matter what happens, that, that I'll be here. And, and I think over the years, you know, we've kind of settled into a, a, a uh, a, a good place now where um you know i think there's i learned to listen which i was very bad at earlier on and um you know it's we, we've got a good place now where we've got a very adult relationship and you know she knows that she's always got a father here and you know i deal with you know, someone as well someone has got the same thing because um you know someone has got there's liam who stays here and there's you're someone with two daughters who she's not seen for, you know, well over six, seven months now. And um, and having to ride out with Tara, because Simona's got a daughter, daughter called Tara as well. 
And well, she was out in Spain in a motorhome with her boyfriend and a dog when the whole COVID thing and the lockdown happened in Spain. And she was basically trapped in uh, Fortaventura, which was a, a very worrying time. Uh, and Mona, Simona's other daughter, she's in, uh, she's up in Colm. And, you know, she's been on their own up there. And, and of course, Simona's got parents up there. So, I mean, but with, with the kids, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, we've got a pretty close family overall. You know, there's always difficulties. I mean, you know, as I said, I mean, you know, dealing with Tara as a teenager was, you know, a very, very strange thing. But I mean, I've learned, and as I said, I mean, I think, you know, you come through it all, you know. My mum and dad brought me up well, so it's uh, as long as I avoid the, what's called the Dick Temper. It was, my grandfather was called Tiger, that was his nickname, uh, because of the temper they had. And as long as, as I don't let the temper go, then I'm okay. That's when the rest of the band call me the Bear. Right? That's the other nickname. But, uh, but yeah, so that's Tara. And it was great. I mean, Tara's just moved into a, a, a new house with her boyfriend across in Fife, which is lovely. And I've never heard her sound so happy. And she's getting in the garden, which is great. It was something she swore that she would never get involved with, but she's naturally fell into it because her boyfriend works in the, the, the film industry. And, uh, and he's involved with set design, which involves gardens. So there's a nice little circle there. So there is. Ten Edward Sanchez, San Antonio, Texas. Hope you're okay out there. Watch the news, it looks horrendous. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite scary to see. I mean, again, you know, we're here in, in the sanctuary. And, but I mean, even today, I mean, uh, you know, I was looking at, the, there was a lot more cases in, in, in Germany. And, you know, we, we were hoping that, uh, we are still hoping that Simona's mother's gonna come across here at some point, but we've got to take all these safety concerns. And, uh, you know, both, you know, my mum and through there and Simona's mum, you know, we've, we've got to be extra careful about it all, so. Dave Johnson, hello from Liverpool, remember Milo's Bar? Yeah, I do remember Milo's Bar. Yeah, I do. <laughs> the one upstairs, evil place. Um, uh, Jan Andresen, thank you. Fido Chico, to us, uh, Brian Eager, hello. Roddy McLeod, Norman Warburton, Anders Tani Bjorkman from Purmo in Finland. Christian Michelle's large compliments for the Gardner Remembrance of his song and video. I had to wipe some tears from my eyes. Yes, that is a reaction that is occurring. You are not alone. It's just, like I said, David and Hannah did a, a great video and I think, you know, it, it fitted the song perfectly and it's just such an emotional song. Like I said, I was on the phone to John Mitchell this morning, you know, we're just saying like, it's, I mean, John's been absolutely blown away by the, the reactions as well. You know, he just, he was, he sent me a text going like, wow, you know. No. I've got the fire, but oh wait, I've got to turn the fire down. I put the fire on for you so that when I play the music later on, you know, you can have that warm feeling and it's been a wee bit chilly here. This is my favourite bit. See when it goes blue and you get the blue thing going down. 
I do like that bit. And the crack of the stove as it heats. Best thing I ever did was put that stove in, the Marshall stove. <coughs> yeah, it's a, a Marshall stove. And um, it was a, it, it, that stove was kind of really what kind of really swung this place from being a recording studio in a house. It really changed it all around. And, uh, you know, at the time, being a single man, that's why I've got all those Ikea cases. I think they're Billy Book cases. And uh, they're, um, they've been with me for a, a long, long time. And it's uh, and they were perfect. So, like, this, the CD collection is huge. It's not as big as it used to be. I've had to get rid of a lot of stuff. And, uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, the single guy, and like, you know, I need furniture, Ikea, right? And uh, it's great. I have got rubbish Ikea stuff as well, though. I've got a, I've got a disco in the bathroom now, right, in the shower room, because uh, I bought one of those big wall cabinets that had the lights on, because I thought I'd get the lights so that, you know, Simona can, you know, put makeup on. And, it's, and uh, the cupboard's great, but now the lights don't work. But not only do they not work, they've gone strobe. So now I've got a cabinet that's wired up. The cabinet looks great, and the lights don't work, and Ikea don't sell replacements. And this stuff song comes out of China. The cabinet's fantastic. The electrics are crap. And to be honest, most of the electrics I've ever bought off IKEA haven't been particularly good. And haven't lasted at all. But I'm kind of annoyed about the cabinet because it's only about, it's three years old, four years old. And now it's redundant because, you know, it's just a, a bit of furniture now rather than the lights. And I've got to rewire stuff. So I might, be, I might take you through and show you the... the, the the disco, the disco bathroom. Because if you put it along, the, if you get up in the middle of the night and you put the wrong switch down, you're just standing there going doof, 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 doof. You know, it's a bit like a Hitchcock film, but it's, uh, but yeah. But the cabinets, the old billies are brilliant. But the Morsel stove, when I put, it was, there's just something about real fire. I, I, it's, I, I mean, I can sit, I mean, that's why, the listening couch, there's the two couches, there's this one and there's another matching one. This one faces the TV and catches the surround sound system. But when we listen to music, we go across to that couch and that's sitting in the absolute beautiful stereo pitch for the big Kef speakers. And then we were having the fire there in the middle between the Kef speakers, you know, and you sit at night with a, the, 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 especially in the summer with a, um, with the windows open and a wee breeze blowing through, it's, it is truly magical. And, um, Pailuja, good evening from Norway. Patrick Riddle, hello from Leeds. <laughs> Sean Marshall, nice and toasty. Uh, John Watson, blue is the colour. Eh, blue is the colour, yeah. I spoke to Steve the other night. Steve, is, Steve Ansis is a Birmingham City supporter. Uh, and I phoned him up. Um, he sent me up some stuff with a kind of with a, a, a face with a kind of bead of sweat on it, and uh, and I thought Birmingham City had gone down, right? And he'd been listening on the he'd been listening on the radio, <laughs> and he'd obviously been shouting at the radio for the entire game. Birmingham got gubbed. I think it was th uh, three one, but the results around him kept him up by one point, right? And he's like, oh, you know, shouting at the radio on his own, and he said. I said, where's your voice gone? He said, I don't talk to people. 
He said, he doesn't, he doesn't nobody, I don't get anybody phones Steve, right? So he never talks to people, don't use my voice much. And he'd be shouting at the radio at Birmingham City the whole night. <laughs> Come on, you please. Chris Harris, your Billy Bootcase is holding the house up. I know, they're brilliant. The Billy Bootcases were designed for single guys with CD collections and book collections. And, uh, and I love them. And they fit perfectly in the studio because when I t all the, the, the covering, you, you can maybe see the, the, the side well, uh, where the, the picture that Mark Wilkinson did on me is, the, the, the Van Gogh lookalike. And the, the actual... Um, uh, the sound baffling and the, the 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 acoustic covering was about a foot thick, and it went right along that wall. So when I took it out, that was when I decided to put the stove in, and you know, and then, and I was worried because I thought the room, when when I took all the soundproofing out of it, I thought it might have, it might have made it too live. So when we did come to record here, then it, it might have ruined the room. And it was really surprising that it didn't. Um, the only thing with this room now is um, it's all the, the chimes outside, as you can hear. <laughs> the chimes. And, um, and the Velux windows that we put in, they used to be quadruple glazed, and now they're only kind of, I think they're triple, double or triple. And, um, and they're not quite as, as, as soundproof as they should be but I don't care because it's like there'll be no more recording here. And again, it's, it's a really strange feeling that added to the, the, the that sense on Saturday, you know, when you're going like, I was, you know, that's the last album. This is the final one. So, uh, um, but it's great. And uh, I'm happy about it. I'm very happy. Yolanda Van Lieshout de Boivizier Watson. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Some name. Right. Leon Ramsey, spotted you in Ikea, yes, probably did. <laughs> Robert Mar Robert Marotta, can we see the surround setup? No, really, it's just four black boxes. It's like nothing special. Right. It's, a, it's a Kef surround system as well. Uh, yeah, Kevin Van Dort, I agree, shite electrics though, absolutely rubbish. Um, Nonne Easter, hi from Sevilla. Fabrizio Rondelli, ciao from Italy. Neil Henderson, all the best from Shetland. Great, bonjour from Paris, Raymond Groves. Yeah. Jeff Kiefer, I'm guessing that any chance for any final US show or in Welsh events are less than zero, but if there was a successful GoFundMe attached with it, no. Um, you ain't got to cover it. I think when it comes to the farewell tour, um, uh, I still talk to Larry Webman, who's my agent at, at Paradigm in New York, and he's kind of the equivalent of the little guy that's way out in the foxhole, right out in no man's land, right? Who gets the occasional kind of radio call, you just as well, we're alive, you're alive. And um, Larry tried to set up a tour uh, a couple of years back on round about the feast time, and it just didn't work. We just couldn't, the numbers were nowhere near going to happen. And, um, but on a farewell tour, it might work along the same lines as my ex-bandmates kind of do the fan club conventions. 
And, you know, it might work for maybe a couple of weeks, but I don't know. It's so far in the future. It's so far in the future. And there's so much to be done. But, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, you know we're talking about the European tour. My agent was coming at me uh, this week. And it was like, there's the new disclaimers are all coming out. It's great, this is. Right? Here we go. Was a... So Live Nation have put all these things that the promoters are putting out, which is basically um, uh, they can, shows can be cancelled, we don't get paid, we accept our losses, uh, we walk away, um, they can cancel, uh, they can renego they take the right to renegotiate um, shows in case there's uh, different capacities are ordered. And it's, you know, great, great, wow, what, yeah, oh yeah, it's great, on you go. And I know you want this, but excuse me, but we're going out. And um, as I pointed out to my agent, I, I did send him a rather long email with a few points on it. But he got back to me and said, uh, I will, I'll, that's rather a lot of points, I'll get back to you. And, um, and I'm waiting on an answer. Because I said, I said to him, you know, when we go out and tour, what happens if we've got a bus that's costing £1,300 a day, right, and I've got a band and crew, a full circus on the road, and we go into Europe, and then Poland, say for example, God forbid, the R rate goes up and it goes, we have to shut the border, and then I'll lose the five gigs. So what do I do for a week? You know, I don't get paid by anybody, you know, and it was like the other thing within the, 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 the Live Nation statement that, that's been that's going around, which is becoming an industry standard, is that um, uh, they're on about a government agency or a government or a, a responsible agency, whatever, that makes a decision to, to, to pull a tour because of COVID. And I think back to March, and when we were in rehearsals, we knew that there was going to be a problem when we did the gig at the Aberdeen Lemon Tree and I was driving home, Nicholas Sturgeon had already said that all gigs over 500 capacity were, were gone by the, the following Monday. And then a week later, you know, the UK government turned around and said, okay, all gigs are shut down. So what happens if we go out, you know, and, you know, we know it's going to go down, but, you know, do I still get a tour bus? So it's like, I'd like to reserve the right, you know, on behalf of my band crew and my families that if we decide that, you know, on the advice of scientists, before governments say, because governments have taken far too long to do this, you know, we have to have the right to, to pull out. And on top of that, we've got the Brexit conundrum as well. And that, you know, we are staring straight down the barrels of an no-deal Brexit now, so God knows what's going to happen with that. So it's kind of, it's awkward. Everybody protects themselves, but the artists and the crews, you know, are, are, are being set up for the hit. And I think, you know, you know, we need to have a couple, I say, I mean, we were already told there is no insurance for COVID for us, nothing. So, you know, when you're going out now on, on the road, it's, uh, you know, you're at the mercy of everybody else and you're at the mercy of the virus. I mean, hopefully there's vaccines and hopefully, you know, there are rates. I mean, we all know that it's never going to be totally eradicated. I mean, people are saying it's going to be like the cold. It's going to be around kind of forever. And it's how much it kind of hits you. And, uh, I'm just lucky. I mean, up in, in Scotland, you know, we've been we've been lucky, and and a lot of it's got to do with what the Scottish governments, uh, the, the way the Scottish governments handled it. 
And, um, you know, we've got our infection rates you know, coming right down. We've got great local tracing. And I feel I feel confident in, in the way that it's been handled up here by the, the, the Scottish health authorities. And, um, and uh, but, you know, as I said, I mean, you know, we don't know what's going to be happening next year. And, you know, I find it difficult talking about October, November tours. And, and the one thing I'm insisting on is that should any more, should the gigs be the gigs that have already been replaced, if they're talking about replacing them again, it's like, no, you know, it's like pay ticket refund, ticket refund, and then see how it goes from there. Um, you know, and even this, you know, as I said last week, I mean, Mark Shaw from the gig cartel, we were talking about venues and, you know, there's a worry that some venues, you know, might not make it through it. So what happens when you've got a tour and you've got, you know, you're losing a venue and a date and everything else, but it's queer times. I mean, um, you know, and as I said, I mean, everybody rushes to protect themselves, especially insurance companies. And uh, it's, um, I'm not going to go down there because I'll get, I'll get bearish. <laughs> Don't want me to get bearish now. Uh, would I re revisit a cruise to the edge weekend, Robert Moreau? Yeah, if we were offered it <clears throat> and the circumstances were right. <clears throat> um, you know, the cruise to the edge thing. I know that, that Marilly, I was, I was talking to Lucy Jodash, about this, about this earlier this year, and you know, she was saying they were getting really worried because they were in a similar situation where nobody was officially calling off the the, the, the cruise gig, so they couldn't with, with, with the with the aircraft with the, the air flights, etc., the flights and everything they booked, which was a substantial amount of money. They were staring down up down a, a barrel at that, and they had to wait until it was officially cancelled till they could breathe a sigh of relief. And uh, but I mean, you know, being caught on a cruise ship in the Gulf of Mexico with COVID. Uh, and wine at five pound a glass. <laughs> Darren Rums, you got a spare room for Liverpool? Yeah, thanks, mate. Cheers, be down. Yeah. I'll bring my towel. Um, oh, did you see the the Beverly Night concert with social distancing? I never saw that, Sean Michelle. Social distancing at the Beverly Night gig. Yeah. Laura Bittman War, yeah, it is risky. I mean, you know, we gotta think about this. You know, I mean, you know, I'm 62. Like I said, I went to the Royal, the Royal Infirmary on Tuesday and I'm walking out and I'm sitting there last night going like, whoa, imagine being in a tour bus, you know, with a bunch of guys and, you know, and it's, it's, there's a, there's, it's rampant, you know, and you, and especially little Gail, our merchandiser, um, you know, we were really worried about her when you know, we, we sat, I had to sit down and give her, we went through it all. This is what you can do, this is what you can't do. And Gail was very sensible in her approach as well. But I mean, dealing with that on a six-week tour and if somebody catches it on a tour bus, oh man, right? No, no, that ain't, that is not a risk factor I'm even gonna consider. Uh, Mauricio Sosa come in Mexico City once again, the Metropolitan a few years ago. That was a great show at the Metropolitan in Mexico City. I loved that. Oh, it was really funny. I had a fantastic time in Mexico. And um, it was uh, <coughs> it was funny. We went outside the venue and I had to go a bit incognito, you know. But like, I had to do the Jedi Knight vibe. And somebody said, you got to go out and see the merchandise, man, right? Got to go and see the merchandise. And we went out and it was incredible. And outside the venue, lying on the floor, not at stalls, it was all kind of lying on the floor. And 
there was um, an incredible assortment of merchandise. There was cups, there was there was loads of different shirts, there was like flags, there was, oh, I can't even remember what it all was, there was bracelets and stuff, like hundreds and hundreds of items. Actually, I, I bought a shirt, when it was a really good tie-dye shirt, uh, with a fish logo, and I've still got it somewhere. But it was incredible, and you couldn't do anything about it, it was, it was pointless, it was, you just sell it, you know. It's like, well, I'm, you know, the, the people were poor, you, they were obviously poor, and they were just trying to scrape a living together, and I was not going to deny them that, you know, for the sake of licensing logos, you know. That Peter Grant for Led Zeppelin would have had to have had a heart of stone to go wading into that lot, and would probably have been shot. <laughs> uh, I did actually, I did, during a moment of insanity, <laughs> I, th I, th I think it was in Rome, so serious. And we were on the way to the tour bus and I was having a really shit day, right? And I was very, very drunk. And, um, <laughs> and we came out and we went up to this guy and it was a, and there was a bootlegger outside selling crappy shirts, right? And we went up and said, like, look, what you're selling this bootleg stuff. Why are you doing this? Like, you know, you're, you're basically stealing from us. And it was like, eh. <laughs> that's the nice version, right? And we got a, we got a volley full. So I pissed on his stall. <laughs> you didn't see me, right? <laughs> yeah, I was I was ushered very quickly into the tour bus. <laughs> it was um, it was a statement. Right. Gary Van Dien Smith. The the beach scene has been said it was shot in Scotland. It wasn't shot in Scotland. It was shot in Essex. Um, David Lamb and uh, Hannah Thompson shot that in, uh, um, in Essex. And it was about two or three days after. And they had to maintain all the social distance. And luckily, it was like, there, there wasn't really a big glass wall along the beach. Too much to tidy up. Right? But, it's, um, but what it was with the, with the CGI wall and things, they, they had to use when they did the close-ups, they actually had to have a, a piece of glass between them. So, uh, so that was kind of you know, advanced perspex, but I mean, um, it was it was when we shot the, the the video up here. I mean, when Hannah and, and Dave drove back the next day, the country was going into lockdown. I mean, that was how close that video was to getting made. But as I said, if you watch the making of uh, video that's on Louder next Thursday, you'll love it. You know, and as is, don't forget the Spotify thing. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Spotify. I don't. I've got a Spotify account, but I don't listen to it. Right. But if you do, you know, basically click on that Garden Remembrance thing and give it a give it a bit of toast, give it a bit of like, you know, because um, it'd be nice to have a to have the last album with a hit single, you know. <laughs> like I said, there's there's too much weirdness going on at the moment. So uh, it'd be the irony of all ironies. Biggest album I ever had, and you get the demands. You go, no, 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 take him away, get me henceforth out of my life. Uh, uh. William Blevins, Motherwell, cool, cool. Mark Burma ever met Richie Blackmore? Yeah, I did once. It's a strange dude. Uh, um, didn't really talk much, uh, but he was he was very pleasant. You know, he was he was with a that kind of weird band. He's got the I don't know what his Fairies of the Forest or something. I can't remember. Richie Blackmore's what was it. 
Anyway, they were doing that and we were doing a, a show together. It's, um, but I wasn't, I was never a huge Deep Purple fan. I met Ian Gillen, who's a nice, really nice guy. And we had a great mutual friend in uh, uh, Tomasz uh, Zimbinski in Poland, uh, Metal Hammer, Metal Minds. Um, John Lord I knew with the, the, the Whitesnake band. And I met some of the other guys, you know, that I mean, I don't mingle. Everybody keeps saying, you met this here, who you and what do you think? I don't mingle with these people much. I tend to, I, I don't hang out at, um, I don't do like rock parties and stuff. I mean, the, I think the most prestigious gathering I was ever at was when I presented the, the classic rock awards a few years ago. And that was, that was stunning. But, uh, <laughs> Frinton Beach in Essex, Hannah Thompson just came online to see it. So there you go, thank you, Hannah. But Paul, think you could just do a residency somewhere. No need for a bus. You know, one of the reasons that I think I've, I've managed to survive is because I've always had a willingness to tour and to travel. And, you know, when we've played in Germany, for example, and, and even, you know, in, in the UK, you know, I've tried to take the show two places so that, you know, you know, if you put, a, you know, it's the same like American bands that have come across and they'll play London, you know, Birmingham, Manchester, maybe Glasgow, and that's it. And you've got to all travel to it. And I've been in that position where I've traveled to see bands because they're coming nowhere near me. And I tried to take the show out because you're, you're likely to get more people to travel a shorter distance to come to a show than expect people to travel 150 miles. And that's kind of the way that I've operated touring and that we've taken the show to people and I've, I've committed to it and indulged in longer tours. In fact, I mean, Eve, I, was, I was talking to Mark Kelly about three, four weeks ago, and you know, he said like, you know, he, he, he checked out, you know, my, my touring history, and he said, he said, God, he said, you know, they don't, we don't do anywhere near those kind of dates, and it's like, and uh, and he was really su surprised by how many shows I actually play in a year, unlike two thousand and twenty show one. Lemon Tree, Aberdeen, March, Friday the 13th. I should have known. Uh, uh, Lee Brown, Christmas number one. I don't think so. Uh, um, DB, hello. Bern Hunter. Horrible, got Spotify in the car. As many as don't have CD players. My score is like that. It's like, it's, just, it's, it's got a CD player, it's tucked away in the glove compartment. It's like a hidden thing, like a James Bond car. And uh, I'm still, that Skoda's still nipping my head. I'm still only getting 33.3 miles to the gallon since I had it. That is my average mile per gallon across the history of that car. 33.3 in a 1.5 litre petrol motor, right? That's worse than my, my Volvo diesel was than in the last years of its existence, you know? I mean, okay, it's diesel, we expect to do a bit of mileage, but I mean, not that bad. And the, the, what's really honest, I have got the, the voice activated control system in. I have got the Scottish elevator, you know. You know, you've, if you've not seen it, check it out. The Scottish elevator on YouTube. 11, 11. I was trying to phone people the other day and I, I it was like phone Tara. And I must have got six other people that had names nothing like Tara. 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 Called Tara. 
right? And I kept on going, and I told you well, a few weeks ago, I still had Rick Parfit's mobile phone number on my phone, and I tried to phone Rick Parfit, right? If I got through, it would have been like, that would have been a surprise. <laughs> but it was, um, but yeah, I was trying to phone Rick's old number, and uh, and it, it's, and there's been a couple of times where it, it started to phone a number, and it's a person I don't want to talk to. <laughs> Grenade, you know? Greg Haler, where did you film your part in the video with all the pictures? I filmed the part in the video against the white screen here in the room next door. And uh, David filmed it on a big red camera. It's a make of camera called Red. And um, he filmed it on that against the white screen and then took the images and he created a white model. As I said, watch next week on Louder and you'll see the making of. And the making of video is also on the Blu-ray edition of the deluxe version, so. <laughs> Volkswagen not got a CD player either, Kevin. Uh. Carol Matthews, love the fact we see you in a local venue at the UEA. Hope to see you again in Norwich. Yeah, I mean, East Anglia is a place that I try and always get to, you know, either down into, into Cambridge or Norwich or something, because I just, and I, I know that it's difficult for people to travel and, you know, and, I've always had some you know, great nights. I've had brilliant nights at Norwich and brilliant, night, brilliant nights in Cambridge. And uh, you know, so that's why we go down there. Devon and Cornwall is another place I like to get down to, but it's, it's a lot harder to find the gigs. We've got from on, on on this tour, but um, it's it's more difficult to find gigs that actually you know make sense with the size and shit like that. Oh. Brian Royer, Vigil Deluxe before the end of the year? No. It won't be out until next April, and I am still waiting on paperwork coming to sign off so that I can legally go ahead with this. Everything is agreed. It just needs to get some paperwork. So I was, I sent off some emails last week going, can we please get this in place? Because we have to move with it, and there's no way I'm going ahead with an album without an official okay, because I've been there before. And I don't want to get involved in a legal dispute with Warners, right? And I'm just, yeah, it'll happen. Huh? But it's incredibly frustrating. Uh, Lemon Tree Gig should be a t-shirt one off, yeah. Add a few bells, it could be Christmas number one, Andy Laidlaw. Maybe we'll remake Callum, bring the cowbell in. Marek Soares, New Jersey, the USA, Laura Pittman Ward, hi. I was looking forward to seeing you at Homeforth, Mike Orlick. Yeah, download Apple. Yeah, James Cassidy has done a fantastic job and he sent me up with the, the, the entire digital spread in um, 2018 when the Parley with Angels thing. Parley with Angels kind of launched the first digital thing. so. Yeah, all the albums, you can download all the albums, but I find it weird, even James is saying to me now that downloads are, downloads are becoming like, but, you know, nobody downloads anymore, it's passe, you know, which is really crazy, and everybody listens on Spotify, and I definitely make more money from a download than I do from a stream, that is a, that's a certainty. The only thing that's good with the, whether it's the streaming, is that if there are enough streams, if there are enough streams, then it goes towards chart position. So it's like, you know, the more streams, you know, the more it gets attention, the more we move towards that impact date with the single. Oh, who's this now? 
It's Callum Malcolm. This is that, yeah. Uh, I'll phone him back. Buddy Callum. Callum, how are you doing? Callum, there's something going very strange with the phone. Bloody tech. Yes, yes, we did. I'm in the middle of doing this live thing on Facebook at the moment. Can I phone you back? Is this about side three? Yeah, yeah. What's, what's the story with it? It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Alright. Okay. No problem. I'll go back because I'm, I'm actually live on Facebook at this moment in time. We're having a discussion live on Facebook because I knew it was important and I had to take it. Oh. <laughs> it's not a problem. But yeah, that's good. That's good. So, Monday. Okay. Okay. Okay, thanks, Callum. Cheers, man. Now, you're probably watching that screen going like, what are they talking about? I got the albums. This isn't like a cue. This wasn't a setup to introduce it as like a little link job. These are the white labels of the Ultimates. And uh, I got them through and listened to them yesterday. And they're simply stunning. Absolutely stunning. It was a, a listen to, I've got, I've got two sets, double albums. And I had to listen through to listen to any clicks or pops or any jumps or anything. So I had to, you know, normally, you know, I'll look on that as a trial. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, you have to sit down and concentrate. You don't look forward to it, you know. And I had a whale of a time. I, had a, I loved it. The album has been cut by a guy called Barry Grant at Alchemy, which is a, a very famous mastering studio, vinyl mastering studio down in London. And they cut at half speed, which means that basically the, the cut is done at half speed. So there's more information goes on to that um, that initial disc that goes across to the production plan. And by God, it shows. It's, I was listening to the album yesterday and I actually liked it more than the CD. I hadn't heard the, the actual CD album, the digital version. And, uh, and I put this vinyl on and it was just the warmth and the depth of it all. And it just sounded like brilliant vinyl, you know? And uh, 
So anyway, that conversation with Callum was about the fact that we got the vinyl in and the Garden of Remembrance track right at the very end, right? And it's it basically, it, was, it wasn't the fault of alchemy. It was basically Callum, a, a file had gone down that had a tiny bit missing off it. And basically it's a second, it's one second. And it's on the decay of the piano note, right at the end of Garden of Remembrance. It goes down, and it's going off in the distance, and it cuts right at the very end. And it's just it was just a file that just didn't go through properly. And we have to basically recut one side of the album in order to make sure that Garden of Remembrance, that decay on that last piano note, is like it doesn't it drive me nuts. If if if, if I could never listen to the vinyl again. If that was on it, I could never listen to the vinyl again. And because I, I know it's there. And so it's side three, which is um, uh, Gardner Remembrance, uh, Sea Song, and Little Man Hunt Now. That has to be recut and it has to be sent across the GZ with the manufacturers. And we're late, uh, but we think it should be okay. And there's a very. Barry has gone on holiday. He's basically sorted it all out and it's all been laid, but somebody's got to press a button. So Callum was phoning me up to say that Barry was going to be on holiday, but there is a nice man in a set of overalls down at Alchemy who's going to press a button and then we get that last side going across to Czechland. And the first two sides um, are already being uh, printed off. So this is the last bit that's got to go across. So it's... Um, it's... Uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, there's, there's, you're spinning plates all the time. There's always something going down, but it's fantastic. And that is the cue. Oh no, it's dead. The vape died. So, seeing as how it's Garden of Remembrance Day, and uh, this is the official, official, official release day of Garden of Remembrance, I thought we'd play it to you on the vinyl. Alright, so we'll have a listen to the vinyl. So let me set you up so you can have a wee, wee deco at the fire. And I'll put it on. I'll show you what it's like. There is my white vinyl. And then... Just like when you watch, um, when you're watching the uh, people on the TV and you're looking at the books that are behind the camera to see what people are reading, this is um, this is the vinyl I've been playing recently. So this vigil lined up for later, right? That was uh, Elton John's Tumbleweed Connection, Caravan, uh, Girls Who Go Plump in the Night, uh, Crosby Stills, Crosby Stills National Young Deja Vu, and. Fothering Gay, which was Sandy Denny's band, and I've been play I've been playing that vinyl recently. And um, CDs I've been playing, Caravan in the Land of Green Pink, uh, Tom Petty Wildflower, Lowell George Thanks a Lady Here, Doris Brendel's new album, who which my wife absolutely loves, uh, Best of the Police, Nick Drake, Five Leaves Left, Blood Sweat and Tears. So yeah, uh, it's quite a varied. Listening taste I have. So, right. Let's get this sorted out. This is where I've got to try and not embarrass myself because it's something. Um, 
Just don't let the needle slip off now. Don't scratch it. There you go. Thank you. 
growing together now forever apart with a love so embracing held in their hearts but nothing between them no memory shared no between the here and now Somewhere that he can't be found She's still here The love of goes to memory She'll wait for an eternity He's still here He's lost between the here and now Somewhere that he can't be found She's That's a bit. That was a bit. I don't know. You might not have been able to hear that. I don't know. But it's, um, you might not have been able to hear that. But it's right at the end. It's just that amp, the little nip. That little nip right at the end of that. Very closing. No, and it's just it drives you mad. It's um, it's uh, yeah. It's but the reaction to the song's just been incredible, and uh, and it's, it's it's wonderful, and it's a song about dementia, you know. It's uh, which is, you know, I, I think that's that's hit people as well because because the subject matter of the song nobody's ever dealt with this before. Nobody's gonna approached it from that angle. It's uh. And I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of what, what John Mitchell and I have done in this and what Callum you know, brought to the table on all this as well. I mean, it's just, the mix is wonderful. And Doris's backing vocal just sits really nice. You know, it's, um, and Mr. Liam Holmes on the, 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 the piano. The piano. So uh, it's, um, it's cool. Right. So that was the vinyl you probably won't kind of get the, the real audio quality on this i don't know i've got no idea i've never listened to a vinyl down a phone before and plan not to do that in my life anyway no what time is it it's quarter past seven good timing uh sean michael flynn okay i'll try this one again fish can you please talk about any of your thoughts or impressions on the other scottish singer i hold in the same regard as you Alexander James Harvey and his band. Alex Harvey. I never met Alex. Uh, sadly, I never met Alex. And um, But I was really lucky that I became uh, friends with the band, primarily through meeting Ted McKenna, who was uh, a, a brilliant drummer. 
Ted was a great friend and he was, he was a lovely, lovely bear of a man. And, um, and Ted uh, was going to drum, he was going to join the band in, in 1991 during the 10 Lexile and he came along. And Ted was, a, I think I've, I've, I've kind of touched on this before, Ted was brilliant on, on stage, he's absolutely incredible, but in the studio he just moved a little bit and what we were trying to do was very hard to incorporate Ted's kind of, kind of more free drumming style. And um, I had the most embarrassing thing, to, you know, because Chris Kimsey said he was producing Internal Lights all the time. He said, it's not working. It's not working. It's, this is going to take far too long. And uh, and I had the embarrassing thing of turning around to Ted and saying, we can't do this. And it was terrible. And we, we didn't fall out, but we didn't kind of have much communication for about the next year. But I mean, we were both grown ups, and and Ted knew what what the score was and things, and and it was it was through Ted that I was I, I met met Zal. We when Marillion were playing back in eighty one eighty two, I mean I can remember uh, Zal's band to Tanduri cassette, and they were always and when I was booking Marillion, you know I used to follow the Tanduri cassette venues. And you know, when I saw them playing in a venue, it was like you know, I would try and get into that venue because I knew it would have been it was a it would be a good venue for us as well. And um and it was every time we were playing, we used to you know, we'd arrive being really in Tanduri cassette, like that. It was they were just always around at the time. But anyway, in the the nineties, it was I think it was around about ninety four or something. And uh that was before before then, because it was like songs for the mirror. And the sensational Alex Harvey band wanted to go out with another singer and they just wanted to go out and play. They hadn't played together for a while and Ted had come through a load of personal issues and, well, basically, Ted had, had kind of stopped drinking and uh, Zal, don't think, was drinking either and Hugh uh, wasn't drinking. And they kind of all got together. It was all going to be, you know, wonderful. We'd, I think the first gig I played with them was at the Rockin' Horse in Glasgow, which I think is shut down now. And it was a fantastic night. And I went up and I sung Faith Healer, Boston Tea Party. I did a couple other kind of basic rock tracks and stuff. And Dan McCafferty from Nazareth was one of the other singers. And uh, Charlie, who's a female singer for the Borders, who had a band called Charlie and the Sheepdogs that played a lot in Edinburgh, who had a great blues voice. She used to do a couple of Harvey numbers things. And people used to come in and out, but the idea was that they were trying to get the band together and bring the singer in, and I couldn't do it. I mean, I had my own solo career, and the last thing I wanted to do was join another band, but they were great fun to be with, but they were too much fun to be with. <laughs> and we started doing these gigs, it was about gig number four, and then Ted started drinking again. And then I remember I was in the middle of Fife somewhere <laughs> in some pub, and they had a, an old, some mate of theirs had brought this old tour bus up. And then we ended up in the tour bus after the, the show getting absolute paralytic in the tour bus. It, was a, it wasn't like a tour bus. It wasn't like a nightliner. It was a tour bus, right? As in a bus that you go on a tour with. It, wasn't, it didn't have anything really special in it, right? It was a bit homemade. And we were sitting there at four o'clock in the morning and I'm phoning up the wife. Can you pick me up? We were in the middle of five. Wasn't pleased, right? And it was kind of, it was just getting too much. It was, it was it, the band was called the Party Boys, and the problem was that the, the Party Boys became Capital P Party, you know, and um, and they carried on, and they, they they've got a new singer called Max, or they're a singer called Max, who was a great guy, a really nice guy, and very eccentric and wonderful, and um, 
And it's really strange that I'm answering this question tonight because I had Zal Clemens, a guy who works with Zal Clemenson, and he phoned up and Zal, they're trying to put together some charity thing and, and doing a version of Faith Healer. And they were asking me to sing it and Zal wanted me to sing it, but I just, I don't have the time. I just really do not have the time to get involved with anything else outside of here. Um, but, you know, we, we did on, on the Songs from the Mirror album, uh, which you can get on a remaster, by the way. Right? On the Songs from the Mirror album, we did, I did uh, Boston Tea Party with the Sensation Alex Harry Band. And I can remember being through there with uh, James Cassidy, right? who was producing the album. And that the sad band and Zal Clemenson was doing the solo. And we had, you could see him on a camera on a TV through and through there. And it was outstanding watching. I'm going, this is Zal Clemenson from the Sabs in my studio, right? And we did Boston Tea Party. And Ted was absolutely brilliant. You know, it was just a case of you switched Ted on, you knew what the song was, and we recorded him. And he was brilliant on uh, obviously doing Boston Tea Party. And, uh, and I met up with him. I did a gig with him in Dunfermline. I did a charity gig with him in Nazareth. And, uh, and it was strange because I was like the young guy, you know, these were all kind of seasoned veterans. And I was kind of like, I was the loon. I was the, 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 I was the boy in the fold, you know? And, um, and it was a great honor just to, to work with all those guys. I mean, Dan McCaffrey's voice, I mean, Dan McCaffrey, when he was in full blast, sadly, you know, Dan's had his own health issues in recent years and, and he's had to pull out of all kind of live touring. And, uh, and, um, I see Pete Agnew every now and again, the bass player in, in, in Nazareth. I meet him in Germany regularly because obviously Nazareth's still tour. Uh, they've got the, the new singer whose name, I sorry, I can't remember. And um, it was a good rock band, solid, you know. But the, the Sabs, you know, they kind of, it kind of petered out after the party boys. It, it was getting a bit too much. And I think Hugh was feeling the, the pace. Zal, I think, had, had spent a lot of, you know, He'd, he'd really hoped that it was going to happen again and I think he was facing the same mountain that he'd faced time and time again and I didn't think he was into climbing anymore and uh, and, and Zal pulled back and then he got his own band which uh, I can't remember what they were called I'm sure it'll come up on the feed and um, I heard some of their stuff it was awesome absolutely lethal I tried to get Zal to join my band I did I actually asked Zal um um, I think it was round about, it must have been about 93 actually or something, remember that time, it was when Robin Bolt couldn't do a tour and it was like we were looking for another guitarist and I went to ask Zal and Zal just said, nah, he wasn't going on the road again, he'd, he'd had it, he'd kind of had enough of the music business and I think he was soured by it all. And um, But when he came back with the, the, the something dogs, uh, it was um, the what, wine dogs? No, that's Mike Pollock's. But uh, anyway, it was a good, fantastic band and we nearly met up at Cropperdy and we were going to, the idea was for us both to do Faith Healer at Cropperdy and it didn't happen, uh, which was sad. But, you know, that's what happens. But, but yeah, Savs, but I do have, I, I have a, a very drunken signature from Alex Harvey, allegedly. It's allegedly Alex Harvey's. It was uh, given to me by Patchouli who passed away a couple of months back and he died away of cancer and he was a great uh, rock DJ in Belgium and we became very good friends and he knew I was a big fan of Alex Harvey and he gave one drunken night in Brussels uh, oh here's a signature of Alex Harvey 
it is, it does not look like Alex Avi, but it is. I was there, he was falling over very, very dark. <laughs> and I've still got it through my office on the wall. <laughs> it doesn't look like Alex Avi. It's probably like fish signatures here, but I'm absolutely steaming after you. I, oh, oh. It says fish, it does. If you look really, really closely. Right. No, it says fuck. Uh, Kevin Van Dort is out claiming he's top of the Barry Barlow. Yes, he was the drummer on on Tanjuri Cassette as well. They were they were all top session guys that played in that band. They were very respected, great. And I never saw them. I never actually saw the band. I only ever saw them as a name on a poster. Right. Well. Jacqueline Crane. The you were there at the Rock and Roll gig. It was a great night. It was the vibe, the energy in the room was fantastic. I think, you know, bringing the band back in. And they're powerful characters. Chris Glenn, a brilliant bass guitarist. And uh, again, he's another bear. Him and Ted McKenna were the two bears. <laughs> but Ted, well, it was really sad, you know, to lose Ted. And in such a weird way, he went in for an operation in his hernia. I'd been, I was doing, there was a... Uh, there was a Scottish musicians kind of exhibition uh, in the National Museum in Scotland that I was invited to put some stuff into and they had like my big tartan coat and things. And they had a big launch night and Ted McKenna was there and it was uh, it was great. It was Ted McKenna and it was Claire Grogan, Shirley Manson was there. And um, uh, who else? Anyway, that was like the, the last time I saw Ted. But just before that, it was... Um, we had to do an interview for the actual for the setup. So they had the um, they had these videos inside the, the museum, and, and Ted and I were both interviewed for the for the videos. And it was done down at the Leith Town Hall, which I hadn't been in since I was at a, a, a PFM gig, I think, in about nineteen seventy six or something. Right, and um, and I went at the, the old town hall, and they were setting the cameras up, and it was a kind of really surreal place, a very empty old theatre that they were just starting to bring together. And Ted and I had about 30, 40 minutes w within the filming. And it was great. And it was the first time we'd been able to, just the two of us, just to be able to sit down and talk and 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 just just have banter together. And it was fantastic. And it was a great afternoon. And uh, and, it, and it was after that, it was kind of, it was, it was you know, there was a meeting in, in the hall and he was gone. But he said at the time, that he was going in for a meeting, he was going in for an operation on his hernia. And he was playing with a Michael Schenker group and they had, there was a load of Michael Schenker stuff set up. And he said, I, I don't have the time. They said, oh, it's just a wee thing. He said, like, you know, I can still play with it, no problem. Like, oh, I can play, blah, 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 you know. And he said, yeah, it just irritates me, but, you know, I've got to get it done sometime. And he went in just before Christmas, and what was it, what would it be, Christmas 219? And, uh, was it Christmas 2.18? No, Christmas, sorry, Christmas 2.18. And he went in for a hernia operation and uh, there was a problem in, during the operation and uh, they cut an artery and basically he bled to death on the operating table. They couldn't, they couldn't save him. And it was just, it was a tiny way. And it, you know, I was like, what? And I got, I got, it was, it was Ian Rankin, the, the, the Edinburgh author. I put something on his Twitter page, his Twitter feed saying like terrible news about Ted McKenna. And at first I thought it was a joke. I mean, you know, I thought it was one of those sick jokes or like, you know, you know, there's been a Chinese whisper in there. They've got, it's another McKenna or something like that. And, um, and you know, because I mean, Ted, you know, he was, he was a, a man of age, but he was pretty fit. He was a drummer. 
and of course there was this horrific accident and uh and I, of course i went up and i, I tried to phone up chris glenn and, and things and, and eventually got a phone call saying you know that yeah he gone and, and they told me how he gone it was, it was so sad and you know i was at the i went across to the to the the funeral and it was um it was amazing seeing all these uh like there was a generation of Glaswegian musicians were there and it was astounding to see it. And that was the, uh, where I met Michael Schenker. Somebody's asked me about, have you ever met Michael Schenker? Yeah, I met him there. I'd, again, you know, I'd, I don't know him by any stretch of the but I met him there. But I'd met him before because we were on EMI together and uh, they were on EMI Germany. Yeah, Electrola, EMI Electrola. And, uh, but yeah, Ted was, was a really sad loss. And... Um, it was like, and I think that's kind of way to, I mean, he's, he's, he's missed, you know, he, he was a great rock drummer, he was one of the great rock drummers, and, but he was such a likeable man, and, you know, there was no pretensions about him, he was very straightforward, very honest, lovely guy, but that was the sensation Alex Harvey band, and, um, and, uh, and I was just really, you know, proud to have got a chance to work with him. I also worked with him on Caledonia, which is also on the Songs from the Mirror remaster, which was I did for the Frankie Miller tribute. And I was spent an amazing afternoon in Glasgow at uh, was it? Um, Sava Studios. And it was, um, there was like Brian Robertson and the, all the Sabs were there and things. And, and Frankie was there. He was a beautiful guy. And Frankie had met before, that's another story. But, so, but yeah, so Caledonia it had Chris Glenn and uh, Ted McKenna um, uh, 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 playing on that one as well. And I thought, I'm pretty sure Zal played on it. But anyway, Cal, and I, that was a, I loved doing that song. It's a, I thought I did a pretty good version. And Frankie, through his signals, you know, gave me the thumbs up, which was I was proud of. Oh. Oh. Martin Snape, what do you think of the Blue Nile? I really like the Blue Nile. They're a real Musos, Musos band. A bit like kind of you know, the Joni Mitchell, Ajira kind of phase and stuff, and our jazz phase, you know, they're a musicals band, but they're, they've, they've actually worked here in the studio because um, they, they were here for a couple of months, but I think they've been in every studio in Europe, to be honest. But um, it was Callum Malcolm who's produced, Velch Mertzen, who produced uh, Feast of Consequences and uh, was worked in the 13th Star. Callum Malcolm did all the, the, the Blue Nile stuff, and uh, worked with the band very, very closely and all that. And Callum Malcolm, there's a couple of bits on, uh, there's a couple of bits in Velschmerz, there's one bit in particular in Rosie Damascus where this guitar comes in out, the, out, out of the back and it really reminds me of something off um, uh, um, Hat, the Hats album. It's just, just that this rhythm guitar that comes in in a really strange rhythm and it, it just really, the way he's just picked it out of the mix and the way he's, he's placed things and uh, and there's some of the other pieces where you when he uses the brass that's, that's reminiscent of Blue Nile. But I really love them. And the first time I heard uh, Blue Nile, I was sent the uh, Walk Across the Rooftops album, and I got that in Berlin uh, during the Misplaced Childhood writing sessions. And I was given it by Brian Munns, who was a really old friend of mine, a dear friend who sadly passed away years and years ago and he was my press officer and he really looked after me and he used to recommend me pieces of music and it was him that recommended the Blue Nile and he sent me across a cassette 
and I used to play it on my Sony Pro Walkman. Remember them? The little black obelisks, they were the thing to have. The dogs, boys. A Sony Pro Walkman. And I used to walk around uh, the embassy district uh, near the studio, which was all old, em old Japanese embassies and things that had been left derelict after, uh, after the war. Nobody had kind of built them up. Now it's an area where all, they've all been done up and there was zillions. But back then, and that was where we shot the, the Kaylee video. There was a lot where, um, where the wee boy right, puts the heart on the Robert, Robert Mead, who played the wee boy. Robert put a heart on the wall. That was in the embassy district in Berlin. And I used to go walking around there a lot, just with my Walkman on, you know, and just go for dandos and just walk aimlessly around this beautifully overgrown uh, part of Berlin. And that was where I first ever heard Blue Nile walking across the rooftops. And it was so perfect. It was a perfect soundtrack for, for all that. Yeah. This is where you think I'm going, I'm planning all this, right? This is where you think, it's all linked. I've written it all out before I came on here. No. No, I've not set this up. It's 25 to a gentleman's excuse me. That was the song that's been uh, nominated uh, today. I got the most likes on there when I put it up. And I'll do this again next week. When I put the announcement up for Fish and Friday, and it's like the first five songs that come up, right, of, of basically solo material. First five songs that come up. Put a like on them, and then whatever one song's got the most likes, I'll discuss. This week, the request is for a gentleman's excuse me from the Vigil in the Wilderness and Mirrors album. Um, <coughs> now that was a song I had really high hopes for and it was released as the third single of the Vigil album. And we did a beautiful video again in Berlin. The song I put together were Mickey Simmons It was, it was one that Mickey and I put on. It was, I think it's one of Mickey's greatest achievements. And um, we were writing it. We were writing it down in Gerrard's Cross, where I was living before I moved up here. So it was like when I left Marillion, I was trying to sell the house, and, and Mickey and I had got involved. And this was one of the songs that came up, and I'd written a, a lot of that lyric uh, before... Uh, Mickey and I sat down and oh, how did you deal with this? Um, at the time my then marriage was not in a good state uh, I was on we were we were drifting apart and there were reasons why we were drifting apart and I recognised them and that was what that song was about. It was basically uh, about that particular time in my life. And you went one step forward, two steps back. And that was when I just felt that the marriage was, it was gonna go over. There was, we, we needed to change things around and stuff. It wasn't the principal reason why I left the band by any stretch of the imagination, but it was, it was part of the combining factors, uh, most of which were driven by uh, my own need to escape, um, but that song was uh, was put together 
It must have been round about the end of 1988, beginning of 1989. And we, we, it was performed on a, a, what was it called? A helping still piano. And I've, I've mentioned this before. There's a helping still piano that's still sitting out there in the garage. I don't know. I've got to get it out. I, I might try and get it out this summer and see what state it's in. But it's a big cast iron frame that, that basically goes into its own flight case. And it's got a, the actual keyboard itself. It, it's, you can take it off and it got its own little box. And basically these pianos were, uh, they were designed as concert pianos, as, as touring pianos. Because bands found it too expensive and it was sometimes difficult to get pianos into venues and, and you know, get piano tuners on the day before soundcheck to tune the piano for the gig that night. The helping still piano came in to basically act as a touring instrument, as something that could be carted about. It weighs a ton, right? And it was eventually taken over by uh, the Yamaha pianos, the Yamaha Electric Grands that became famous with Elton John and stuff. But Elton John and Stevie Wonder were all playing these helping still pianos. And as far as I know, this is one of, this is one of the very few that remain. There weren't that many made. And the one I've got, Mickey Simmons, I bought from Mickey Simmons, and Mickey Simmons got it from Chaz and Dave, no less. And on, there's a black top on the, on the piano, and it's, it's black and it's got sides on it. And because it's black, you can't see the edges. And it's one of the things, when the, the piano used to sit in the house, and when you, every time you had a party, somebody come in with a drink, you'd put it on the edge of the piano and go, shink. <laughs> but the other beautiful thing about the piano was, at the front part, there was all the fag buns from Chaz and Dave, <laughs> which were added to <laughs> by Mickey and I. But yeah, so the Helping Still piano, and that was what we wrote, Gentlemen's Excuse Me On, and it came up, the Helping Still obviously came up here, and it was in the original rehearsal room, which used to be on that side, on the other side of that wall, which was the, the barn where the Italian prisoners of war used to live. And it was an old rundown place that the family, the Hendersons that had this place before, they used it as a party room and it became our rehearsal room. And the piano used to sit in there and that was where we used to, we did a lot of the vigil writing. And you can hear the the, the, the demos of Gentlemen's Excuse Me. One of them was on, the, the, the demo of Gentlemen's Excuse Me was on the B side of, I can't remember what it was. Reconnect, you're back. And I can't remember what was the B side of, but if you actually listen to the, the demo, you can hear the apple trees knocking on the glass window outside. You know, this wasn't a, a soundproof place. And you can hear the tap of the, the apple trees on the window. And, uh, but gentlemen, excuse me, like I said, it was, it, was, it, was, it was written about my then wife. It was written about a manager that was kind of heading towards the rocks at the time. And, um, and we filmed the, the, the video in Berlin. And it was... Uh, and the guy that did it, I can't remember his name, but he was, uh, he'd worked on uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail and, and did, he did work with the Monty Python team and stuff. And we wanted a kind of surreal, magical video. And I wanted, I, I felt the gentleman's was strong enough, right? Uh, I felt the gentleman's was, was strong enough and it, 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 it had that potential of being, you know, a killer song, right? Like a, a single. And I thought I could maybe do a Kaylee, and I think I maybe I crossed it. I thought I was blessing it, I maybe crossed it. But I wanted to film in Berlin, and I wanted to retrace that. And we got the chance to film in, uh, well, I wanted 
to film in no man's land, which was the area directly behind the wall. And we managed to get the place that was right next to Hans's studios. So I was actually filming this video like 200 yards away from where we recorded the misplaced shell dude. And I was like, I think I was hoping for the touch, you know what I mean? And, um, and Frank Usher came out and he played guitar, the gypsy on the wall thing. <laughs> I don't think you remember being up there, if you know what I mean. And it was, it was fantastic. There were some great moments with Santa Claus putting the hand through the, the wall and stuff with the flower, with the rose. And of course, uh, my then wife was in it, Tamara. And it was kind of, I don't know, maybe I was playing a game. I, I don't know, because Tamara, we actually met during, or we got together kind of during the Kaylee shoot. She was, my first wife was in the, the Kaylee video. And she came in and across and she was in the, the gentleman's excuse me video. You know, I think a psychologist could have a field time with this, but it's like, and it was, it was a really beautiful video with some of the shots that were done in No Man's Land. I mean, we actually had to drop a Steinway into No Man's Land on a big crane, you know? I mean, no expense spared, right? And the Steinway was dropped in there and, and Mickey walked out and went the tails and did the bit, you know? And uh, I think he was, he was a bit nervous that he was gonna stand in a landmine because that was the, the legend at the time. And I remember Andy Field and I in 1985 throwing bricks over the wall at night, pitched at our minds, trying to set minds off. <laughs> oh, the days. Uh. So, it's 22, so I'll play the track. And this was, it was incredibly, oh no, I've lost the bloody Ramon. It was incredibly daunting because when I recorded this track, um, we wanted to use strings, much as we've done on the, the Velschrantz album. And John Kelly was doing the, John Kelly was producing it. And he said, uh, well, rather than, well, we were going to get, we, we, wanted to use, we wanted to use a big string section and it became an orchestra. And I think it was a 27 piece orchestra. And the 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 only place we could record it was that had a, a studio and it happened to belong to belong to the record label was EMI's Abbey Road Studios. So we got the big room, the big orchestral room at Abbey Road, which is like, you know, it's the Beatles recorded there, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and we went in and John Kelly had said, the, the, the leader of the orchestra, I think it was Gavin, and uh, um, he said, that, the orchestra would like you to sing with them, right? And I'm going like, what? You know, and you know, I'm expecting an orchestra to play and I'm going to walk in and go, okay, play the tape back and I'll sing along with the orchestra. And the orchestra said, we'd prefer you to sing. And John Kelly said, look, if you go across and sing outside on the main floor, and we, with a crepe mic and stuff, you know, your mic's going to pick up the, the orchestra. And the, the orchestra leader had said, you know, it'll give us a better vibe to it, you know? And basically we had enough money, apart from, well, I think you could afford like, you had one rehearsal or two rehearsals, and then we had two takes, right? And that was it. It was like, that's all, I've done two takes. We ran out of money for the gypsies, right? So, well, sometimes the, the, the string people get called gypsies, it's the gypsy section, right? And, um, and it was, uh, anyway, the, the orchestra was there, and I'm going, it's, we got, it's costing a fortune. I didn't even know how much it cost back then, you know? 
But it was a lot of money, and I was reminded constantly, it's a lot of money, right? And it was like, don't fuck up, right? So I went out and I stood there, and my knees were actually shaking when, when we, we did this. So we did the one take, right? And it was like, oh, yeah, okay, one more. And the second one, it was like, oh, when I was like that. And you're trying to control your breathing and trying to control your voice and trying to remember the lyric and put the lyric in the right place. And you're aware that if you screw up, you have screwed up big time. It was a real pressure job. And there's only one part, of this, there's one part of the song where my voice just cracks a little bit, but we got away with it. And it sounded fantastic because of that whole orchestral sound coming down the same mic as the, the, as the vocal. There's no kind of, you know, the, the voice isn't separated from the orchestra. It's in the middle of it all. And it was an incredible, an incredible experience. And John Kelly did a, a fantastic job on it. So, check is it again. I forget five. I'm gonna to have to turn the volume down a bit because where are we? No. Mickey was on piano. Do you still keep paper flowers in the bottom drawer with your Belgian lace? Taking them out every year to watch the colors fade away. Do you still believe in fairy tales? In battlements of shining castles Safe from the dragons That lie beneath the hill Are you still a Russian princess Rescued by a gypsy dancer To anyone who listen Is that a story you still tell You live a life of fantasy, your diary, romantic fiction. Can't you see it's hard for me? Can you see what I'm trying to say? It's a gentleman's excuse me, so I'll do one step to the side. Can you get it inside your head? I'm tired of dancing.
There's a millionaire looking for your front door With a key to a life that you'd never understand And all I have to offer is the love of its free You see its value when you see what I try to say it's a gentleman's excuse me So if you want to step to the side Can you get it inside your head? I'm tired of dancing For everyone step forward Taking two steps back Can you get it inside your head? Awesome. It's a beautiful try. It's um and I'm really I get I'm really pleased because it's um in Holland it's uh in Holland it's still it's, I think it's still in the top one hundred of the all time tracks, you know, like with Kaylee. It's the only solo song that I've got that's that's in there. And it was it got a lot of radio play in, in Holland. And I know that Ron Van Hal Ron, hello, who's dealing with my uh, promotion in Holland. He's really confident that Garner Remembrance could get into the same area as as, um, as Gentlemen's. But it was a beautiful track, and I, I was really disappointed that it didn't it didn't go where where it, where it, we we thought it was going to go. It just didn't get the airplay. It just didn't get the airplay. People said it was too slow. Blah 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 blah. And um, so be it. But I mean, I'm. Really proud of that, and I still remember that experience at Abbey Road. And you know, like right at the end, when everybody's absolutely still, and like you know, you had to, you know, no sound at all. So like you know, when when the, that decay of the orchestra as it comes down and things, it was like, you know, and then it was like, breathe. And then, and like I said, it was Mickey. I, I forgot about Mickey. Mickey was on piano and he was playing. I, I think it was a big Steinway. I know, a big concert grand. And we're looking at each other before we were looking at each other before the record button went down. Before the blood light, the blood light, the red light comes on, which says you're now recording. You're live. You're recording. And we're looking at each other, going like, "Oh shit, this is real." You know, it was great. But then when we heard it back, it was just incredible. It was wonderful. So uh, it was, um, yeah, it was a moment. So that is, uh, gentlemen, excuse me, and. Um, like I said, maybe if I get the help and stuff, maybe I'll get, I'll try and get Foss Patterson down. Maybe we can, I'll, I'll get a tuner in, maybe set it up and, and stuff. Because uh, I haven't seen Foss for a while. But so, uh, okay, we're moving into the end game. It's 10 2. See a couple of, I can find a couple of quickies. Uh, Brian Angus, now that Velschmerz has been manufactured, have you had any thoughts as to what concerts might be used for the Clutching Live album? No. Steve Vance is, is um, down in Birmingham. Uh, outside Birmingham and he's kind of looking at that in the, in the next weeks but I mean that's something that, that he goes through and sees what the, what tech what, what ones 
uh, from a quality point of view, actually fit the grade. And then once we've got about five concerts or so, then we pick one and then we see what we can do with it and things. So, uh, But again, there's the Aberdeen Lemon Tree concert. We, I've got to try and find out and then work out what to do with that. So, uh, oh yeah, Simon Livesley. This week we had the sad news of the death of Tim Smith of the Cardiacs. I remember seeing the Cardiacs support Marillion. Does Fish have any memories of Tim or the band? Yeah. I came across the Cardiacs. I went to a party, which was, it was, it was I, I got invited up to, to see the Cardiacs play at some gig. It was the Zigzag Club. And um, it was up near the old Virgin uh, place in kind of, um, it was West London somewhere. I can't really remember, but Zigzag Club. And it was where all the new romantics were, were, were coming in. Spandau Ballet were playing there a lot, and Duran and things. It was one. Of, it was one of. The, it was a really hip club. But the Cardiacs were playing there, and I saw them there. And somebody told me to go along and see them, and I, they were brilliant, absolutely amazing. And um, I, I just loved the band. And we were looking for a support band, and I suggested the Cardiacs because they were they, they were just starting to break through and they were seen as being very kind of weird and hip. And I thought, this is, it. and I, like I said, I loved, I loved what Tim did on stage and the band were fantastic. You know, they were great, they were lovely people, right? But I mean, my one memory is, is down in, in Cardiff, where we were playing there and, you know, I mean, I, I introduced them on stage as I did with a lot of acts, you know, like Peter Hamill, because, you know, it was like when Marillion played with Rush, you know, the support acts tended to get a really hard time off the Marillion audience. And I thought, you know, by going out and saying, these these guys are invited onto the bill and it's a great band, da da da, you thought you could just do it with Cardiacs. Oh man, they got pelters, absolute pelters right the way through the set. <clears throat> and I felt really sorry for them. And I may actually apologize to them after it because it was so bad, but they were really nice people and I'd, I'd just lost contact, and then I heard that Tim had been taken really ill a few, a, a, a couple of years back. And he was a very, very clever man, a very clever musician, very gentle, very intelligent man. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really sad that he's gone, but he was very ill, and I know he was suffering. So, you know, so Tim, RIP, mate. So, it's 5 2. So. The pre-orders are open, Belchmerz is active. You know, it's a strange feeling for me now. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's on sale. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's a different feeling now. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's out there. I was, like I said, I was so nervous this morning. I mean, it was like waiting in the wings at, 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 at a big gig, you know, and I was really nervous when it got up to 12 o'clock and, making sure everything was right. It was just like going on stage, you know, just a drum set up, you know, it's unplugged in, it was sound check, da da da, the microphone on, da da da. It was a bit like that. And it's off. But as I said, I mean, just the response to the Garner, Garner Remembrance has been incredible. And a, a thank you for that. And thanks for everybody who's put their orders in for Belchmets already, because it, it does mean a lot. I mean, um, we've got we've got a big hill to climb with that album, with sales, you know. It's a... Uh, Got to make it all happen now. So, Sue Gladish, loved it. Thank you, Jan van der Vorst. Still no lyrics by heart. Jeff Kiefer, uh, yeah, ballad singer. <laughs> a ballad singer. But it's interesting when you hear the voice on, on Gentleman's Excuse Me on Vigil from, from 
that was recorded in, uh, in 1989, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's a, a different voice, a far, completely different voice now. And I like my voice better now, but I feel more, I feel more at home with my voice now. And it's, you know, just to have the soul and the expression, I like that. And tonight I'm gonna, we're having, what's the menu tonight, darling, please? Penny Arabiata, made with chilies from our own garden and garlic from our own garden. Um, if we get a bit of sun next week, I'll give you a, a, a wee walk through and I'll show you what we've been putting in. It's quite impressive. But, so now it's Friday. If you're going out to the pub tonight uh, or going out to rent a booth for 50 quid in your local restaurant, etc., etc., just take care. Um, I was talking to Radar, Steve Kent, uh, my sound engineer, and he's down in Manchester, and he was getting really wound up. He's only done one show, which was a streaming show since the Lemon Tree, and he said, he, he said all his all his musician friends, all his crew friends, you know, they're, they're all nobody's been working, obviously. And Steve was getting they were, they were, some of them were getting wound up <clears throat> because of you know the seeing people that weren't social distancing and and not taking care, and you know as Steve said, it's like the longer it goes on. The longer this thing persists and those R rates stay up there, you know, the longer it's going to take for people to get into a venue again. You know, as long as there's like high rates of infection, big gatherings won't happen and Steve was getting really wound up. And I understand that, you know. I have it. I wear it every time I go out. It's not a pain in the ass. I went to the Royal Infirmary and I wore it as did everybody else. It's now... It's been, well, it's been mandatory up here for shops. And I like the way I'm driving about in Harrington and stuff, and you see more and more people wearing masks. It's, you know, it's still out there. We cannot become complacent by any means. I think complacency spells disaster. And I think especially with autumn approaching and watching, I mean, there's guys from Florida on there here tonight, guys from Texas, and you're looking at the, the, the rates, infection rates out there, and it's horrific, it's scary, you know? And the only way we're going to get under control of this is maintaining the social distancing, maintaining the masks, and cleaning your hands. And it sounds boring, it sounds repetitive, but like, so is being in a house, you know? And, um, and I'm here in my place. The fire's on, you know, the sun will be up for another wee bit, somewhere behind the clouds. But I hope you enjoyed uh, this week. And again, thanks for, you know, ordering the, the, the Velchmats album and thanks for Garner Amendments, spread the news, just keep on spreading those links on Garner Amendments and let's see if we can get this happening. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm really proud of it and, and you know, I'm proud of what we, we put together on this album. The album is just so good, you know. But until next week, because I will be back next week, same time, same place, catch me then, Fish on Friday. Until then, just take care and stay alive. Ciao.